all respect to um, Jeff and Kami for getting their kids to play in a band with them. <laughs> I could never get that to happen with my daughters. I wanted us to all play in the church band together and call ourselves <laughs> the Bandolins. <laughs> And uh, they always refused. I even had a shirt for us, like a. Anyway. Let's pray. Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you again for your word. And we ask now, Father, that you might um, calm our minds and our hearts so that as we look at it, uh, we can concentrate and we can be delighted uh, at the wonders that you have granted to us in Jesus. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, today I really want us to understand what the body of Christ is. And tomorrow we'll talk about how to build it. And that's how uh, these talks are working together. But I've been in uh, full-time ministry now for over 20 years. And I've conducted many, many Many weddings. And I have seen many, many, many brides. And I have carefully observed what it takes for a bride to ready herself for her wedding day. And ladies, it is a nightmare. <laughs> Is it not? And gents, as you listen to this, I want you to just to sit back and thank God you're a man. <laughs> See, first of all, there is the dress. There are so many decisions to be made about the dress. There is the style. Straight or poofy? Fishtail or A-Lide, lacy smooth, beady or non-beady, frilly or non-frilly, off the shoulder, on the shoulder, thin straps, thick straps, long sleeves, short sleeves, no sleeves at all. Long, short, how long? How short? Train, no train. Long train, short train, detachable train, secured train. Buttons, zips and you get the picture. And then, we haven't finished, then there's the colour decision. Now, ask a man the colour of a wedding dress, what would they say? White. Men are so dumb. <laughs> no! No, you need to choose between eggshell or champagne, bone, cream, ivory. Then there's off-white, light off-white, dark off-white, stark white, silk white, diamond white, winter white and white. After that, there are the fittings. You have the first fitting, you have the second fitting, and sometimes you have the third fitting. And then there are the shoes. High heels, low heels, thin heel, thick heel, open toe, close toes. Then there's the accessories. The accessories. Earrings, necklace, bracelet, brooches, sparkly or subtle, feature or compliment, simple or sophisticated, gold, silver, jade, diamonds, pearls. Then there's the hair. 
Wear it up, wear it down. Long shirt, short, curly, straight. Wear it in, wear it out. Natural or dyed, ribbon or flowers or tiara. And then there's the hair rehearsal. Yes, there is a hair rehearsal. <laughs> then there's the veil. Veil, no veil. Long veil, short veil, fly screen or fishnet. My goodness. Then there are the flowers to carry. White, red, yellow, pink, purple, peach, lavender, roses, lily, carnations, orchids, camellias, daisies, hot dollar, caltex. <laughs> then there's the face. <laughs> Plucking the eyebrows, maybe a bit of moustache. <laughs> <laughs> there's the lipstick, there's the eyeshadow, there's the eyeliner, the mascara, the foundation, the rouge, the moisturiser, and all of this, all of this, so that people will gasp in wonder at her beauty as she walks down the aisle. See how much it takes and costs to make a bride look beautiful. <laughs> You know, there is also a bride in the Bible. It is the people of God, the church. And I want to explore with you today what it took to make her beautiful. Now, the idea of God's people as bride begins in the Old Testament. Uh, now, there are many places in the Old Testament, actually, God speaks about his people as bride, Hosea, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and so forth. But I just want to concentrate on Ezekiel 16 that was read to us, because I think that's a great summary, actually, of what the Old Testament says about God's people as bride. So if you turn to Ezekiel 16, the first reading, you'll see in the first three verses that we didn't read that uh, God uh, is speaking to his people in Jerusalem. And uh, as we read in verse uh, 18, oh, sorry, verse 8 of chapter 16, uh, we see God through the prophet speaking to them later, I passed by and when I looked at you, I saw that you were old enough for love. I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your naked body. I gave you a solemn oath, entered into a covenant with you, declares the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. Now listen to what God did. I bathed you with water, washed the blood from you and put ointments on you. I clothed you. I clothed you with an embroidered dress. I put sandals of fine leather on you, dressed you in fine linen, covered you with costly garments, adorned you with jewellery, put bracelets on your arm, necklace around your neck, put ring on, a ring on your nose, earrings on your ears, and a beautiful crown on your head. You were adorned with gold, silver. Your clothes were fine linen, costly fabric, embroidered cloth. Your food was olive oil, the finest flour. You became very beautiful. Very beautiful. And rose to become a queen, your fame spread among the nations on account of your beauty. Because the splendor I had given you made your beauty perfect. 
Sounds like a bride, does it not? Sounds like a bride all fussed up for a wedding. We saw the dress, the shoes, the jewellery, the headpiece, the gold, the silver, the cost. It sounds like this is a bride getting fussed up for her wedding because this is about a bride. You see in verse 8 where God spread the corner of his garment over her and covered her nakedness. It's a bit weird, yeah? (laughs) That was not weird for them though. See, that was the ancient way of asking a girl to marry you. Uh, It was how you proposed to a girl. I wish I'd lived back then, I can tell you. (laughs) How much easier and cheaper would it be? (laughs) Now you've got to take a girl out for dinner, buy her flowers, get a ring, do mushy poems and mixtapes, all that sort of stuff. How much cooler would it be to just say to a girl, hey, you want to wear my hoodie? (laughs) But you'll see the second half of verse 8. God gives a solemn oath and enters into a covenant. That is a marriage covenant. And this passage is about how God treated his bride. It was beautiful, wasn't it? It was as it was read. It's a picture of a generous, loving, adoring husband towards his wife, lavishing her with these costly, beautiful gifts that she might be beautiful. And yet, despite this, wow, the bride turns nasty. We're going to read on a little bit now, and just a before we read on, there's, I'm giving you a discomfort warning. Let's read on in chapter 16. I'm just going to read bits of it. Verse 15. You trusted in your beauty and used your fame to become a prostitute. You lavished your favours on anyone who passed by. Verse 17, you made for yourself male idols and engaged in prostitution with them. Look down to verse 20. You took your sons and daughters whom you bore to me and sacrificed them as food to idols. Was your prostitution not enough? Verse 21, you slaughtered my children and sacrificed them to idols. Verse 25, look at that. At every street corner, you built your lofty shrines and degraded your beauty, spreading your legs with increasing promiscuity to anyone who passed by. Verse 26, you engaged in prostitution with the Egyptians, your neighbours with large genitals and aroused my anger with your increasing promiscuity. Verse 28, you engaged in prostitution with the Assyrians too because you were insatiable. And even after that, you still were not satisfied, verse 28. Then you increased your promiscuity to to include Babylonia, a land of merchants. But even with this, you were not satisfied. Verse 32, you adulterous wife. You prefer strangers to your own husband. It's kind of shocking, isn't it? And friends, this is not about sex. 
This is a picture of God's bride. His people whoring themselves, getting into bed with other gods. Prostituting themselves to these gods and of abandoning their God and walking away from the marriage. It is uncomfortably graphic in nature. And I think that simply indicates the magnitude of their unfaithfulness. You can hardly believe these words are in the Bible, can you? But that's the ugliness of their sin. And the awful thing is that this is basically the story of God's Old Testament people. Continued unfaithfulness generation after generation before this, after this. Until the end of the Old Testament. We see God's people in disarray. Tainted, stained, blemished, beyond recovery and far, far away from God in their sin. There was barely any outward semblance of their covenant relationship with God or that they were his bride. Now, it would not be unreasonable for God to abandon the marriage, move on. But God does not. Because his faithfulness stands in stark contrast to his people's lack of it. And this is what God says. If you go to the end of chapter 16... And reading from verse 59, chapter 16, verse 59. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I will deal with you as you deserve, but because you have despised my oath by breaking the covenant, yet I will remember the covenant I made with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. Verse 62, so I will establish my covenant with you and you will know that I am the Lord. 63, then when I make atonement for you, for all you have done, and it goes on. God will be faithful. He will remember his promises, the covenant that he made. And he will make atonement for what they have done. And that brings us to what God does in the New Testament. Or that we read about in the New Testament. And it brings us to Ephesians 5, which was the second reading. Now, though this is a very famous passage about marriage, I'm not going to speak about uh, that in particular. I simply want to use this passage to draw a number of points about what it says about the church, the bride, and the body. And the first point I want to make is that real marriage, if I can put it that way, describes the relationship between Christ and his church. 
And in this passage, marriage between a husband and a wife, a man and a woman, is a reflection of the relationship between Christ and his church. It's not the other way around. So if you look at verse 29 of Ephesians 5, Verse, 25, uh, verse 29, Ephesians 5, After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. Verse 31, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ. And the church. Now, the profound mystery here is the oneness of two becoming one in marriage from verse 31, uh, quoting Genesis 2. But he says in verse 32, I am talking about Christ and the church. So here the prior marriage or the, the, the real marriage is the one between Christ and the church. And our human husband-wife marriages are a reflection of that oneness between Christ and his bride, the church. And so anything this passage says about husbands and wives is based on or modelled on the primary marriage of Christ and his church. You with me? Secondly, the bride of Christ, the church, is also his body. Verse 23. Verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Verse 28. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his, their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. In other words, here, the picture language of bride and body brings together the idea of love and oneness together. The bride is loved by the husband, and so one. The body is at one with the head, and so loved. So the pictures of bride and body bring the ideas of love and oneness together. Now, what it teaches... Uh, about the uh, Christ church marriage is that Christ is the head of the church, the body. Verse 23, wives, submit to yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church of which he is the saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ... So, so wives should submit to their own to their husbands in everything. Now, what does it mean that Christ is the head of the church? Well, it does mean that he has authority over her, over the church. And yes, the church needs to submit to him because he has authority over her. 
But does that mean that Jesus, as head, was some sort of bossy dictator or an unquestioned, unchallenged decision maker? Did it mean that he was served, that he was waited on? Well, far, far from it. You know, I find it interesting. The first thing mentioned in relation to Christ's headship in verse 23 is that he is the saviour. Did you notice that? That's surprising to me because you'd think in terms of Christ being head, he would have referred to him as the, the Lord or the master or the king, something like that. But no, he says, of which he is the saviour. Here, what he's emphasising is that as head, he saved his bride. The church did so out of love for her. Verse 25. Let's look at that. So husbands, love your wives lies just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So it doesn't say, does it, that he bossed her around, made all the decisions. No, it said Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? As the head of the church, verse 25, he gave himself up for her. That's how he loved her, by giving himself completely for her. And here he is referring to his life, his very being. He gave his life for her. He sacrificed himself for her. And why did he do this? It was because she was tainted and blemished and unclean. And far away. And so, verse 25, look at that again. He gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle. Or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Because Jesus loved her. And because God always keeps his promises. Jesus gave himself up for her to cleanse her stain and blemish, to make her holy and blameless, to make her beautiful. And we know the way Jesus cleansed was through his death on the cross for her sins. That's how he gave himself up for her. He died for her on the cross. It was in his sacrificial service that he exercised headship. And that's how atonement was made for her, as he promised in Ezekiel. 
And that's how we can be a part of the body of Christ, his church, his body, through faith in Christ's death for our sins where we are made clean. That's how we become part of his people. That's how we become his bride forever. It's a wonderful picture, isn't it? His bride. And you know, that picture of us being his bride goes in all the way through to eternity. Uh, If I can just read to you a few verses from Revelation. I love these pictures. Revelation 19. Revelation 19 and verse 7 says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. Look at Revelation 21, verse 3. As uh, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, we talked about that last time, coming down out of heaven, verse uh, 2, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. It's a beautiful picture again, isn't it? And so the Bible's portrayal of bride takes us from God's adulterous, prostituting wife to the unblemished, holy, blameless church, cleansed and atoned by the sacrificial love of Jesus to be with him forever. Hallelujah. That's a picture of the bride in the Bible, the body of Christ. What does that mean for us? One, be faithful to the husband, bride and body. Be faithful to Christ. As we should in marriage, be faithful. What does that mean? means keep trusting in Jesus. It means to keep trusting in Jesus and to obey Jesus. That is faithful living. Trust. Obey. It means don't jump into bed with other gods. That's what trusting and obeying in Jesus means. Don't get into, into bed with other gods. Money, self-importance, self-promotion, career, religion, popularity, behaviour the world accepts but God does not. You know, there's an idol behind every one of those things. Don't jump into bed with other gods. Which beds do you jump into in your heart? Which beds? Be faithful to Christ and Him alone. 
Secondly, what does this mean for us? Love the church. Actually, love your church. Love your church. You know why? She's the bride of Christ. She's the bride of Christ. She is precious to him. So precious, he gave his life for her. For her. So love her. Ephesians 5.2 says, Ephesians 5.2, Live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So as Christ loved us, his bride, and gave himself for us, so love your church. Love your church. Love your church selflessly like Jesus did. Limitlessly like Jesus did. And sacrificially like Jesus did. And finally, you know, something that I think I'm still, I don't think, I know I'm still trying to work hard on and I don't think I do well. Lastly, be thankful. Be thankful. I don't mean in kind of a cheap token way. Thanks, Jesus, buddy. No. I mean, be thankful. A thankfulness that drops you to your knees. That shakes you your head in awe that bursts your heart in praise, that calluses your hands in eager, humble service. Because though it might take a lot to make a bride beautiful these days. It does not even come close to what it took Jesus to make his bride, to make us beautiful. See, for him, there's no glamorous white dress is there. Only the mocking purple robe of humiliation. And his head was not adorned with a veil, was punctured by a crown of thorns. And his beaten, bloody, bruised body drew no gasps of wonder, just scorn and disgust.
in his tortured form, pierced by the angry nails of crucifixion, brought no squeals of happy delight, only the haunting, horrific silence of being forsaken by God. This was the price for sin. This was the cost to bring his bride into relationship with God and with himself. We are his bride. We are his church. So be very deeply thankful. Let's pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we are in awe and wonder of what you have done for us in the Lord Jesus. Thank you that through him you made us your bride. You made us his body. And we are truly and deeply thankful. Amen. Thanks. Thanks, Peter. Um, just a curiosity for me, when you read the Revelation 19 uh, passage, uh, in verse uh, 7 and 8, it says, uh, uh, and his bride has made herself ready, finally then bright and clean, was given her to wear. Uh, and then finally it stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Yeah. I, you know, I know this is God's word, but I, I read it as that, that Christ clothed us in that fine linen by his sacrifice of atonement. But there it seems to say it's our righteous acts. Is that? There, there, is, there is some mixture of metaphors. <laughs> and the Bible does use the same metaphors to mean different things. In, sometimes it, it does. Uh, Yes, 100% true. We are clothed with Christ's righteousness. No doubt about it. Uh, but uh, the righteous acts of the saint, uh, righteous acts of God's holy people also do adorn. Okay? They do adorn the gospel and they do adorn uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I, I think he's using similar uh, metaphors to say things that are both true. Does that make sense? Yeah. Last question from you. Uh, I actually had one. Um, okay. <laughs> I, thought I, I thought I got away with it.
I think where you see it is in the decisions that you make. Um, I don't think it's in the. I don't think it's necessarily in the struggles that we have because it, I, I think you know we're faced with uh, temptation, and uh, but in the end, it's the decisions that you make, decisions about priorities, um, and that's big decisions and little decisions as well. Uh, when I, I often think when people make big decisions about choosing something else over God, that's actually the result of a thousand little decisions, you know. And so it's, it, it is, it, you will see what idols you have by the choices that you make, the things that you decide to do over and above God. And, and sometimes we can even try to dress them up so that they sound spiritual, but most people actually know deep in their heart whether they're doing it for themselves or they really are uh, uh, doing it for God. And that can be anything from, you know, I, uh, we're going to play soccer on Sundays instead of, yeah, you know, go to church or, or, you know, whatever. That tells you something about what's most important and therefore is an idol. Yeah. 